The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All and Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I am coming at you live and direct from New York City, the place that doesn't sleep and is never quiet, especially now as I'm trying to record this intro sans my mic. So apologies in advance for any noise issues that you hear in the background. I came here with my family last week to visit my in-laws who have now both been vaccinated and who we hadn't seen in over a year. Getting on an airplane was a huge trip and as much anxiety as I had over doing it, it also felt really good to engage that muscle memory of living a life that looks different to the one that we've been living for the last 12 months, living life. There's so much energy in New York. It's been really nice to be around after so much quiet. And the only downside is that I missed the Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry because I didn't get to watch it live. And then I got coerced into signing up for some weird CBS app that ultimately didn't even have the special that I'm now hooked on for a monthly commitment. And it only offers me Young Sheldon and a couple other shows that I don't watch. So I have to figure that out and I have to actually catch up on the special. But you know what? It's something to look forward to. So let me tell you about today's guest. For more than 15 years, Esty Stanley has been creating some of the most iconic looks in Hollywood through her role as a celebrated fashion stylist to everyone from the Olsen twins to Jessica Biel with some very formative years with NSYNC sprinkled on top. Later, she transitioned her eye and intrinsic sense of style to become a renowned interior designer, creating beautiful environments all over the world. Oddly, for some reason, left out of her recently released design book in Comfort and Style, Esty once came over to my house, confidently told me to physically remove the fabric cover of my couch, and took me from totally geek to totally chic in a matter of minutes in a move that would have never, ever occurred to me. Most recently, Essie's opened up an agency for other designers, architects, and landscape artists, bridging the often frustrating gap between creative and client. And when she isn't busy tending to her 50 plus client roster, she is in her kitchen whipping up the most mind-blowing banana bread for her self-described side hustle, Gone Bananas, which we all have, except that hers benefits various charitable organizations. Esty is totally singular, a Jane of all trades, and someone who just couldn't imagine having to go on tour like her old client, Justin Timberlake, simply because she worries she would overheat in the wardrobe. I hope you enjoy our conversation And as always, we would love to hear from you. So if you listen on Spotify, don't forget to shoot us any questions on the app or as always, reach out on Instagram. Until next week. Esther, how are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm excited to see your face. You look so pretty. I happen to know where you are, but for anybody who's listening, (laughs) you're like in the dressing room of your 
closet, which I affectionately call Esty the Grand Dame yes, because I think she's so glamorous. <laughs> it's not even a walk-in closet. You have actually two couches in there. You have a coffee table. Like, is I this do. your hangout room? It is my hangout for my girlfriends and me when we like, you know, when we used to be able to go out and get ready and drink in here and have fun with fashion, but it's like no longer. Yeah. But how often are you hiding from your family in there? I am right now. Thank God. Yeah. I was talking to this, like, I mean, I'm not really that into all of this kind of stuff, but I was talking to this like energy woman. She does like energies in the house. And if you're buying a house and like someone died in it or there was anything crazy that happens, she comes in and clears it. Right. And she's like, oh, and you can set up these like stations where things stay away from the rooms. And I was like, oh, can you come to my house and set up a station so my kids won't come to certain areas? Yeah. She meant like spirits or like bad energy and you're like, get my husband out of my closet. Yeah. Like this is so crazy. This whole. Did you use her? I haven't yet. But I, probably I would will. love to do that. I think honestly, it'd be interesting to have a clearing of all of our houses, you know, when we finally get to leave and see what sort of energy there's been over the last year when we've just been stuck here. I agree. I wonder. I mean, personally, I've kind of liked it because I don't feel that I have that like mania happening in my life as much anymore. I kind of feel it happening again right now because I think like COVID's over or everyone thinks COVID's over because of the vaccine. So I'm starting to like feel that weird energy again, like with the traffic and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's kind of actually stressing me out. Like I really liked how chill everything was even though COVID is such a horrible thing, obviously, but I did really like the new version of all of our lives. I would love to be like more calm and not as like a million meetings and a party every night. And it's just, I'm nervous to go back. But don't you think that also this was a little bit of your time to shine because we just heard rumblings about the possibility of a virus. And I think you had, tell us a little bit about this. You had like a second refrigerator outside. You were stocked for doomsday. Like, are you sort of like a worst case scenario? Like you're down in the barracks. You were moving to Canada. You had all sorts of different ideas. There was cash under like, where's the cash? But it was like (laughs) under the mattresses you were pulling out. You were like operating in gold. Yes, I was out. In February of 2020. Literally, February of 2020. I think, honestly, I've always kind of had this, I don't want to say doomsday, but I think there's... You're a survivalist. I'm a survivalist. And I just also thought with who was in our presidential office, Mm -hmm. definitely had the ability to take us to doomsday, which he kind of did or did. And I just needed to be completely prepared for what was going to go down. I think I also watch way too much like Homeland and Handmaid's Tale. Like those are like my love for TV shows that I watch. And there's always a horrible ending. And not to mention, I mean, this probably is ingrained in me somewhere, but my grandparents were in the Holocaust. So for me... I'm always like have to survive somehow, or I'm always like, oh my God, do we have the hazmat suits? Like even when they're, you don't need one, I have them. Yeah, no, you're joking, but I mean, it's epigenetic trauma. 100%. That is is flowing through your veins. So right. you get a little bit of an inkling of this and it was like, you were, you were calling in the big dogs. Do you feel like 
you are feeling that kind of lift now that people are starting to get the vaccine or do you still feel like you want to wait it out and see how things go? I definitely feel like there is a lift, but now I feel like it's going to go back to like crazy life again, which I'm Mm -hmm. hoping society got a taste of how great it was to not be that speedy. And maybe we can all like try to find what we found in this, like family and friendships and like really appreciating your life and going outside and going in nature and, you know, not sitting on, I mean, it sucks because like everything I feel like COVID kind of taught us or gave us moments to bring back into our lives is being deleted by everyone sitting on Zooms and my kids in school on Zooms all day. It's like, that's the opposite of what we were getting from COVID. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It was, I think it was those first six weeks probably where the streets felt still. Yeah. The air seemed really clean. There wasn't even air traffic. You just felt a sense that life was on pause in a really beautiful way where you got to focus on other things. And I think now we're all adapting to what the, you know, kind of like the new form of communication is, and we're becoming efficient in ways that we couldn't by not being able to go to the office. But now I spend my entire day on back-to-back Zoom calls. There's no sense of stillness or like smelling the roses that's happening anymore. I haven't smelled roses in about a year now, I feel like. (laughs) It's like days, you know, I don't like that feeling either where I wake up and it's just like you look at your calendar for the day and it's back-to-back calls. And there's something different, I think, if you had been working in a traditional sense, you wouldn't feel that beholden to technology. Like you're just sitting there in front of a screen. And I think that that has a fatigue too. How have you been holding up? Like what's your mental state been? This year, since 2021 happened, I think I've kind of like, you know, starting to go downhill a little bit, I think. You're starting to go down as the world might be starting to come back. That's right. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Correct. (laughs) Because I see what's going to happen. And I see, I know how like society is and how people are and everyone forgets things very quickly. Right. And I think the part that I enjoyed the most about COVID, even though it's horrid, it just reminded me of being a kid again, sitting on the sidewalk for four hours and four hours feeling like five days, which was so nice. What sidewalk were you sitting on? When I was a kid, you know what I mean? Oh, like I, thought you mean I thought you meant recently. I was like, okay, what is this I mean, woman like doing? It reminded me of being like a kid and not having like any sense of urgency or panic or like, hurry, we got to get this done or this, you know, Mm -hmm. we got an email yesterday of like school coming back and the panic of like making those lunches again and getting them into the car and driving in traffic. Like I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can do this again. Like I literally don't think I can do it again. Right. Well, that's why I always am curious when I ask people, because we all know all the things that we've given up and that we've lost over this last year. But what do you feel you have gained? What have been the silver linings for you aside from just feeling like a renewed sense of spirit in time? Well, I think what's very strange, because I thought I would kill my husband we've actually gotten a lot closer. You have a renaissance. We do. It's so bizarre. (laughs) Wait, and how long have you been married? This will be our 13th this April. So it's like you, you passed the seven year itch and now you're at the 13 uh, recanoodle. 
I honestly, when this all happened, I was like, well, we're divorced hundred percent. Like there's no way we're going to survive this. And it's literally been the complete opposite. It's so strange to me. What do you attribute that to? Cause you know, do you know the phenomenon of too much Larry? Did you no, watch what's Curb? That? No. Well, yeah, of course. But what okay, is so Larry, you know, on Curb, he got back together with Cheryl and right. he was not working for a while. And he was like, this is great. I'm going to be around all the time. And right. she hated it because he was right. around all the time. And she one day was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's too much Larry. And we always say that here when Ian's around or I'm around and it's just, we're in each other's face too much. It's too much Larry. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like we each have our own zones in the day. So we don't mm-hmm. really see each other that much. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's nice to actually like have him here where it really feels like he's my partner, not just like a dude at an office and comes home at like seven o'clock at night and then is like a part of the family. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, everybody like, is immersed in a totally different kind of role. All of contribution a Contribution too, a different contribution, which I think is like really nice. And I've learned probably more to appreciate him now being here than not being here, right? Than being absent me going like, why am I doing everything? You know what I mean? (laughs) So maybe you're liking COVID SD more than non-COVID SD. I might, I might be. And let's see if we can bring her back into 2021 and leave, leave the old gal behind. That's true. But as we kind of move into our next iteration of life, what do we want to take from this time and bring forth? Well, for you, it's obviously your second fridge. It's definitely my second fridge. And I think the calmness and kind of like the doesn't matter vibe that I have yeah, the now perspective. from COVID, yeah, is what I do want to bring forward. Obviously, this showed everyone that life is so important and things really don't matter. Like all the stupid things we all think matter really don't fucking matter. Are you allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, okay. it's an X-rated show. <laughs> so I can show my tits? <laughs> I hope you do. That will um, definitely be the clip I show if you do. Perfect. Yeah, I just think that I need to just like stay in that kind of mindset. Okay, tell me something fun. Let's switch gears. What was the last lie that you told? I don't know. I really try not to lie. I remember when I was younger, I lied a lot. I used to lie a lot. And I just feel like I used to get like a kid or like in your twenties. Yeah. Like in my thirties No, like in my Mm twenties, I just learned that no matter what you get caught every single time, it doesn't matter. And I was like sick of feeling like, Oh my God, I just got caught again. So I really tried. I mean, you know, I'm pretty brutally honest probably, Uh, I I would say so probably to a fault sometimes, but yeah, I really not a liar. Okay. Is there any occasion on which you think it is okay to lie? I had this therapist once that used to always tell me, like, if you're ever in a fight or if you are about to tell a lie, your trick is to say, you have to go to the bathroom. Just be like, I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom. Because the minute you deter, when you come back, no one remembers anything anyways, because everybody's so wrapped up in their own bullshit that you can actually leave the conversation. Okay. So, old, I have to go to the bathroom. I have trick. to go to the bathroom. I've taught that to my daughter and it's actually working. The other one is what? You're in a conversation and things are heated and they ask you a question. And the only way out, right, is to lie. So right. then you say, what? 
and it just gives you like a little bit more time to, yeah, but people to figure know out. That you're I lying. know, I know. But I think if you say I have to go to the bathroom, they know that you're lying as well. No, but I'll sit and think and be like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the idea of having it all. Okay. Is that a notion you buy into? But what does that mean to you? Well, what does that mean to you? You're on my podcast, woman. I mean, listen, there's definitely times where like I look at other people's lives or say like, oh my God, I wish I had that. Or I wish I would have done mine? that. Yours for sure. <laughs> like your hair. I wish I still had, could part my hair in the middle. Like I had the days where I could part in the middle. I can't part in the middle anymore. Like I would love to part in the middle still. Well, I just learned that it's like clear that you're not a millennial if you're part yeah, because on the, of the side. side part. <laughs> you're giving yourself away. It's n- it's nothing else. They're not going to know just by looking at you, but they're going to be able to tell by the part. I know. Okay, so there's times where you look at other people, and yeah, of course, I think like, oh my god, I wish I would have done that in my life or this or that. But then I like get back out of like my stupid head and you know listening to like the dark side of me. And I'm just like, what am I talking about? Like, I have a fucking amazing life. You know what I mean? And I don't know if there's such thing as having it all, but I think for yourself, like emotionally and physically, I think there is that for you. I think people and women especially can get to a place where they feel secure enough and happy enough in their life that yes, they can have it all. Does that make sense? It's not necessarily a materialistic thing or anything like that. But I think feeling like settled and actually like not giving a fuck about anyone else or what other people think, I think that to me is having it all. Do you think that that's something that you learned though? Do you think that's something that you've worked on over time? Obviously. For sure. 100%. And I think that having multiple really weird friendships throughout my life really showed me like, oh, okay, like there's fucking crazy people in this world. You can't just like let anyone you meet into your life and those people can destroy you. And I think it's really important to like have those feelers out all the time. I think there's different planets of humanity. It's almost like when you're a virgin, right? You're on the virgin planet. And once you have sex, you never go back to that planet. Yeah, they don't even let you back on the planet. They don't. You don't get to go back. So it's kind of like that. And I think once you can understand that you're lucky and you're alive and, you know, there's billions of people on the planet that you can go be friends with, doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, something that you touched on is the idea of designing your own life, doing something that feels like an authentic extension of who you really are. Your career feels like such a good representation of this because it hasn't been totally linear, but it has been an extension of so many different sides of your personality. So getting to pose this question of designing your own life to an actual designer feels very appropriate. But did you have a model that you wanted to follow? Everyone always asks me, like, it's so crazy how many careers I've had. I've, I've never been the personality that can do one thing. That's never been who I am. Like even with food, like if I go to a restaurant, I want like options, right? I don't want, I want everyone to like share so I can try everything. I've never been that person. Like I'm going to be a banker and that's all I'm going to be my whole life. I also find it to be like slightly boring to be the same thing. Like even my, even like when I was styling, which was really like my first real career. I mean, I did that for 25 years, probably 
and I worked with like the most amazing people, like the biggest celebs, blah, blah, blah. But still like, I was just like, it's enough. You know what I mean? Right. You get like fried from doing the same schlep over and over. And I feel like more now in life, people are like changing their stories all the time and do do other things, which I think is great because I do think you should be able to do different things and experience different roles in life. And, you know, if I'm a designer, I'm a specific person during that day, or if I'm a stylist, another per, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've been lucky enough to be able to be successful in both of them. But I just like doing different stuff. I don't know why. I really like to bring like pleasure to people. Yeah, you're a pleasure bringer, Essie. I am. That's that's how people describe you. But we all get to evolve over time and our passions and interests get to evolve. But like you said, so you started your career out in fashion styling. Right. And we're working, this is like very like boy band era, right? Oh, like, yeah. So insane. That was my whole thing, yeah. You're working with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and all of the most major people. I think it's really refreshing to be honest about it though and say that after a while, just like everything, the shine wears off. Totally. But early days, you're working with the biggest stars in the world. There has to be a point for you where you feel a sense of, oh my God, I've made it. Yeah, of course. I felt very successful and, you know, in demand. And yeah, of course that makes you feel good. But at the same time, I'm not the president of the United States. Like I'm still schlepping garment bags. You know what I mean? Like it's still a version of a sales job. You know, I could basically be a car salesman too. I think it's a little bit different though. Of course, but you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not the star. Of course, you're not the star. But the thing is, is like you have been to the other side. So you can say it with a little bit of like, oh my God, but I could have been, you know, a car salesman too. A hundred percent. You are flying all over the world. You're staying at the best hotels. You have like super, super luxe treatments. It's like the scene in Devil Wears Prada where she's like, look at us, Andrea. That's right. Everyone wants to be us. Everyone. But this is having it all in other lives. That's the thing. It's like That's right. everybody else is looking at you in that scenario and wants to be traveling with Justin Timberlake. And this is like got to be the pinnacle of life. And you are like, eh, I may as well work at the Toyota dealership. So give <laughs> I'm us- not a, saying that. <laughs> no, I know, but it's only through reaching that level of success that you can realize that it's not as great as people build everything up to be. It's definitely great. And I feel like I've been lucky in the sense where the people in that world that have come into my life that I'm friends with, they're all like, really great people. I mean, I could tell you stories of some of the people that were in my life that were like the worst humans on planet earth and not on the virgin planet. We don't know. And we don't talk about them anymore because we try not, you know, the higher road, I guess, mm -hmm. but there's plenty of them. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's not easy when you're there, like having to like make somebody happy who is inherently not happy. Oh, we're talking about like a potential client. Yes. Right. Or okay. a celebrity that I had to dress or, you know, that I just met and who's like, you know, thinks their shit doesn't stink. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And they cannot be satisfied. Ever. But you know what's funny about this too? And even Justin Timberlake, right? He actually is the star in that scenario. In order for him to generate 
his salary that he needs to maintain his life, he has to be on the road X number of days throughout the year, right? Which I know compared to anybody else's job sounds like heaven. But I'm sure you even have an inside look where you see, like even that has days where you want to get off the ride. Honestly, I remember when he did his concert, his last concert, and we were in Paris and I went to the concert. And it was honestly the hottest I've ever experienced anywhere in my whole life. Like you walked outside. Like the temperature. Yeah, that temperature, the humidity, it was weird. Like they had this crazy heat wave and we were soaking wet. Like I couldn't even barely be in a t-shirt and like a cot, okay? We go to this concert, we go backstage and he comes out with like a t-shirt with a sweatshirt and a jean jacket. And I'm like, never could I ever, like literally never could I ever. It doesn't matter how much money you paid me. I couldn't actually physically do something like that. So when I look at people, it's a like good thing him, that the people of Paris were there to see him and not you for that's that right. reason. Right. <laughs> right. And like these people are famous for a reason and because they're like machines, like this is what they do. This is it's in their bodies. It's in their souls. They're just all such performers. And to be able to see that there's just that little bit of difference between the regs and them. Right, right, right. I always said to him, like, how do you do the same concert every night? He's like, it's not the same. I was like, no, but it is. It's the same song in the same row. Like, doesn't that make you nuts? And no, they love it. He doesn't have your Jewish blood where he's like, how do you do the same thing every night? I couldn't, like this year of Groundhog Day to me has been trying because it's just like the same and the same and the same. Right. Okay. Well, so first of all, was there any, ever any funny, very non-glamorous aspect to that job that you could share? I remember once. I want to say her name, but I probably shouldn't. We won't say it. I'd like probably done like two fittings with her and she had a really like, she was super, super, super skinny girl. And I came in and I was probably eight and a half months pregnant and I gained like almost a hundred pounds with my first pregnancy. I'm not exaggerating. I was wearing like nurse shoes because I had like <laughs> couldn't, couldn't walk around anymore. And so I walk into this fitting and this chick who's probably a size zero to two takes off her clothes because we're doing the fitting, stands in the mirror next to me and goes, I am so overweight. <laughs> I mean, what do you even say in this moment? And she's just like, I look terrible today. Like, I can't believe how much weight I've gained. I was so mad, Sarah. And I just like needed to kind of like give her a little dig, yeah. but kindly. And but I how do you do that when also it's like you're there for the I job? I just looked at her and I said, did you eat broccoli today? That's yeah. what I did. And I just like was like, fuck you, bitch. And I never worked with her again. And me saying that to her, like, sent her over the edge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because she didn't know I was, like, being a bitch. But I think sometimes you have to, like, give it to people. I do not believe in not giving people a little taste of their own medicine. My husband disagrees with me, but whatever. Obviously, you don't want to do anything for too long, but you have moved around a lot and you've done different things. So you also had Miss Davenport, where you were a designer. You opened Ofudge, so you were a restaurateur. What was that experience like? Really brutal. How did it vary in your mind from what you thought it was going to be versus what it actually was? So 
you know, Kimberly and I and Beale came up with this idea to have a place where parents could go and have a organic, healthy meal with their kids, but also have some downtime and be able to like have a drink or dinner with a friend and not have the kids like climbing on your head during dinner. Right. So we had au pairs who this big room where kids could play and hang out and do their own thing with whatever, all kinds of games, all of it. What could go wrong? I know. Where could you, right? (laughs) What could go wrong? Okay. Well, everything. Well, everybody said that until your GM or people and waiters and this and that are stealing money from you and blaming each other and then blaming it on us and saying we're stealing their tips. And it just felt like this whole snowball effect of something so magical and lovely that we were trying to create for parents and kids turned into this just like weird nightmare. Everyone warned me, listen, I have a lot of friends who are chefs and literally everyone warned me about opening a restaurant. They're like, it's the worst thing it on planet It is the hardest Earth. business, right? Yeah. And it was, they were right. And it's the one time you look back and say, do I regret it? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But you know what? If you hadn't done it, you would always wonder. Of course. And by the way, by doing it, I know I could pretty much do anything because that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my whole life. Do you think you're pretty able to take those things in stride though? From the outside perspective, I would say yes, because I feel like it has not deterred you from continuing to try different things. Yeah. I mean, listen, that one was a definitely a big blow in my life. That one like hit me hard, but yeah, I mean, you got to just like pick up and keep going. You know what I mean? Like no one else is going to pick you up, right? Like your family, your friends will support you, whatever, but it's really up to you to figure it out. There was definitely a moment after that where I thought like, I'm just going to like go work at like 7-Eleven. Yeah. Well, that's where I see you. You know, just like here, it's $12. Thanks. Bye. And then just go home. That's all I have to do all day. Right. You don't have to get home with you. You're you're not not worried about anything. Well, you wouldn't be in upper management there because you don't have to deal with the people. (laughs) So you're going to probably just do clerk work, you know, just like. I mean, it feels easy. Listen, I'm sure a lot of people who work in retail or at 7-Elevens would argue otherwise. You're probably right. You're probably right. I've never done it. And everything comes with its own bag of chips. So it's true. So you didn't go to 7-Eleven and you have been transitioning into interiors, which you've kind of been doing the whole time as well, though, low key, right? So during styling, I also was doing interiors because Mm -hmm. people would come to my house and I was always changing my house. So my clients would ask me to help them design their home. So that kind of took off and I did that for about, 20 years. And recently I've kind of slowed that down because I opened an agency that represents designers and architects called The Eye. And that really came from always having an agent as a stylist and not having to deal with clients and negotiating fees and contracts and all of that kind of stuff that goes with that and just being able to be creative. And I know for designers, I always was looking for an agent when I was designing and I just felt like it was so awkward having these conversations with potential clients or even somebody in my office doing it for me. Cause it's a, it's at odds with your creativity too, right? It's like you have to wear so many hats. Yes. And it takes away 
so much time from these artists because they're sitting here all day long, like trying to navigate with clients and having these really intimate relationships with people. But at the same time, you know, someone's saying like, oh, well, you know, did you just bring over the really expensive table because you want the bigger markup or, you know, or a client like blowing up the designer's phone all weekend because they want them to look at their Pinterest board. You know, it's both sides. And Is that bad? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, note to self. Well, I always make an example like, do you text your doctor on the weekend if it's not an emergency? I have a few of my doctor's cell phones, but no, I actually- No, No, I never, I never call my doctor, period. That's correct. And even though this is a relationship where you are allowed to call, it doesn't mean you have to be boundaryless about it. I have about 55 people that we are representing designers, architects, landscape designers, and every single one of them came in with a different fee structure. And I was like, no wonder this business is like nuts. No wonder no one has boundaries and no wonder everyone is just honestly like annoyed all the time in their work. Like this all has to change. There has to be a procedure. There has to be a way to do it properly where the customer also feels like there's transparency and not designers being shady because they want them to buy something more expensive because they'll make more money or the hourly thing that, you know, no one understands that a designer could actually shop for fabrics for five hours. Oh, it takes five hours. Right. Well, (laughs) I think what you're doing, which is really smart, is not only are you providing a service that you knew and wish you had had when you were doing more interior designing, right? But it's that you're able to kind of play both sides of the coin. So you understand the creative process. And then you also understand the need for protection from pinners like me. (laughs) Are you still designing as well? Or do you want to kind of sit firmly in the seat of like being at the helm of the agency and handling behind the scenes stuff? I'm really liking the behind the scenes. I mean, I have a couple clients who have been my clients for years that I will always help if they ask. Um, and if something spectacular comes along, of course, why wouldn't I do it? But for the most part, I'm really enjoying letting these designers be designers and being able to help them navigate it and with the client as well. Like, because I'm able now to keep them like, okay, here's how this works, right? Like Monopoly, here's the little rule book, follow the rules. That's it. There's no veering off of anything on Monopoly, right? Those are the rules. So you're also an author. I I proudly display not one, but two copies of your book in my home in case I need to, you know, reference it in one room or another. Also, because I desperately need to, to fill in my bookshelves. I won't bore you with that because I understand that's like calling my doctor after hours. (laughs) Not part of my time. Right, right. It's not part of your time. I I have been chastised for taking things out of the um, local lending libraries to fill it up. Thought that that was what they were there for, but whatever. (laughs) Do you feel like... Through that experience, have you had an ability to kind of like look back at your career, at, like as, as far as your interior career and really take stock of, oh my God, I have accomplished quite a bit. Yes. And especially homes in there in my book that I really, I don't want to say didn't like, but you know, there is that There's gift. stinkers. Yeah. I have two copies. I know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. There's a gift of being able to do what you don't actually want to do to make your client happy. That's not an easy task. So yes, I accomplished a lot for sure. And that book really showed that to me. Like it was a trip to see it all come together the way it did. You know what I mean? Because it also had like my styling life and it's nuts. Like I was looking at, someone had sent me a video just yesterday, this super random video of me and Jessica Beale arriving in Paris at like the airport and like all these crazy paparazzi and all the things and like chasing us and just like, it's so crazy the life I've had. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that would never have happened at 7-Eleven. It never would have happened at 7-Eleven. Never. It's such a trip. That book for sure showed me what a wild ride I've been on for sure. Hello, my cheeky friends. Christine Evangelista here from the Half Naked Podcast, a show about underwear, vulnerability, and history. Yep. If you've ever been curious about those strappy things at the bottom of your corset or why thongs were invented, join me on Half Naked where we expose the crazy and fraught history of the undergarment industry. Do you think that you're conscious of of sitting down and taking victories? Probably not. It's just kind of like, just keep it going. Right. Keep the train going. You know what I mean? Because you feel like, oh my God, if I stop the train, like how do I pay for everything? And blah, 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 blah. You know, it doesn't just like come out of the sky. Right. But what about the new Zen that you have learned in 2020? I'm trying to be Zen about it. Well, I went like, I don't know. I feel like you spoke about this maybe with Jen Atkin, but I think this place called the Hoffman process. I don't know if you've done Institute. Did you go? Yeah changed my life. It did. I think honestly, it should be a mandatory place that every human being who turns 18 has to go to. I'm not even joking. So for anyone who doesn't know about this, obviously she's referencing Jen Atkin who did go to this, but it's a week long retreat. It's a week long retreat. It's the wildest therapy I've ever done in my life. I definitely think people should be in some type of self- help thing in life. Right. Some self-reflection. Yeah. I think, listen, everybody has their role in life and things happen to everybody. And I think it's really important for you to look at yourself. And I think it's also important to be able to heal the parts that are in pain. And once I got to Hoffman and saw what they did compared to me sitting in therapy for like 20 years of my life, I've never gone to therapy again. And what they do there is so like, you're not supposed to talk about it, but it's like super intense. There's some pillow punching, right? There's a lot of punching, but the way they do it is so thoughtful and caring and kind and safe. And I honestly can't explain it, but when I left there, I'm a different human being than who I was before I went. And no matter what happens since I've been there, it still resonates in me all the time. Even if I don't do anything of the things they tell you you're supposed to do every day. What I know about Hoffman is that it's a lot about kind of undoing certain pictures that we have imprinted on ourselves through messages through childhood and through our parents, et cetera, that 
subconsciously affect all of our choices and behaviors moving forward, right? So something yeah, it's like you know more about like, it than I did. I haven't been. Yeah, it's basically like breaking negative love patterns. Even if you had the nicest family growing up in this and that, whatever it is, I'm sure something about that tortured you or your mom looking at you one day and going, do you think you should wear really wear your hair in a ponytail? Like that's a negative love pattern. There's nothing positive or kind about that, even though it could be, but as a child, getting that information is really like, and no one is breaking the patterns. It just continues on from generation to generation. It's hard to really just like cut it with an ax and like break the cord. And they have figured out a way to do it. And I believe that with all of my heart. How does it affect you in terms of moving forward? So it changes the imprints. But when you look at taking stock of your life, when you look at taking victories, when you look at not placing happiness around the next corner and instead having gratitude for all that you've accomplished. And like you said, sometimes if you are on this train and you're so busy getting to the next place, you're not really enjoying the ride. Yes, sort of. But at the same time, I've seen myself in the past two years since I've been, since I went and I feel the way I handle a lot of things is what I, I do take the time to do stop and smell the roses. I do, once me and you are done, I'm not going to like run back to go talk to my assistants. Like I'll go check on my kids or it's not constantly all about work, which is what I witnessed my mom doing. It was all about work. And I know I got myself into that pattern too. And I just think that they helped me kind of break that and be able to take the time to do other stuff and really understand what's important in life. And I got to say, like, I love a good fight that used to like, yeah, like invigorate my blood boil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone likes to have a good scream, but I probably was a little bit more excessive with the screaming. I like never really scream anymore. It's like once a year, which for me, because I was yelled at my whole life. So to me, like that pattern has been broken. And I'm hoping that the few times that I have screamed at my kids, like maybe they won't pick that up. And the fact that like, when I do scream at somebody, I'm capable of going to them later and saying, I'm so sorry. Like I never could really do that before. Right. Just being more aware. Right. And being responsible for like my behavior. Yeah. Being responsible for your actions and, and as far as they relate to others and to yourself too. Right. What about goals? Are you very goal oriented? And if so, are you fluid with it? Or are you pretty like, do you write in a journal? Do you have a five-year plan? Do you have No, I'm not that markers? person. I'm not that person. No. But I do write in, I write in this like journal. Where is it? Can you show us a few pages? <laughs> it's the one that's called the five-minute journal. And I honestly- Yes. And it's like three, three things that you're grateful for. And do you do it every day? Every day. See, why do I have such a hard time with this? I have that journal. Read the beginning of it. And it tells you if you can get into the pattern of it, it's like brushing your teeth. You just got to get through that like, I don't do first that week, <laughs> by the That's way. That's my problem. I need to get into the pattern it's, of it. It's so crazy to me how hard it is to create a habit. Like I'm one of those people, I know this is going to totally gross you out. And it, most of my friends are like, I don't understand you. It's really hard for me to wash my face at night. 
I just don't, I never have. Like I have to set a timer, like an alarm for me that says like wash face. Otherwise you just want to go to bed. I just want to watch TV. I want to go to bed. I don't care. My point is set an alarm and you'll do the journal. Okay. I'm going to try Just have it repeat every day. And you'll, you'll honestly, you will really weirdly, it's like a brainwashing technique. I really believe that. And you seeing what you're grateful for every day when you read it and there are little weird quotes and all the little stupid things. I need to start over again. It it helps. I got to get back in it. What about, okay, the, the notion that we expect women to work as if they don't have kids and to raise kids as if they don't work. And this has never been more acutely at odds than right now where your kids aren't leaving the house, you're not leaving the house. So you're working from home, whether or not your kids are sufficient with school, they're still calling on you throughout the day. It's crazy. It's just a level of interruption that we're not used to. How do you navigate that? My side hustle for charities, I started a banana bread company during COVID, right? Because I was bored and we had rotten bananas. And because that is the thing to do in COVID is to make banana bread, but you've actually made it into a huge business. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it huge yet, but yes, hopefully it will. You know what? This is is my podcast. I'm going to call it a huge business. (laughs) Into a multi-million dollar business. Oh, I wish. Um, Hopefully one day. Or manifesting manifest, manifest. But cause I was saying like, I love making the banana bread. Like I love the look on everyone's face when they eat it. We cause you're a pleasure it. giver. You maybe you're right. Like that's I, your byline. It, it brings me so much joy to see people like going, Oh my God, this is so delicious. Cause I love food so much. And I know what that feels like when you eat really good food. So she said, well, would you ever just like quit all your jobs and not do anything, but just bake Who's she? Who is this my person? partner, my partner in the business. And I was like, of course I would. I would love to just be making banana breads all day. You know what I mean? And Brian's like, there's no way you could never just do like one thing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, but I'm 51 years old now. I'm good. You guys, do you know what I'm saying? You're like, I, I've had my fill. I'm good. The feminists probably hate me saying this, but like, I wouldn't mind going back to like us being in like dresses all day and cooking at home and just waiting for the husband to come home. And he's the one that has to be out there working the whole time. I'm good. I'm good at this point. You probably say this also knowing that for the last 30 years, you've been pounding the pavement. Pounding. At this point, it would feel like a novelty and you're ready to pop your feet up and eat some of the banana bread. Yeah. I've worked hard for sure. But what about as far as the the parenting component and working and starting a business and you're sort of parenting the parenting what is, the, the 50 designers that you're also I managing know. there I know the parenting for me is honestly right now my kids are 12 and 10 my daughter's about to turn 10 and it is honestly so hard I don't even know what to do there's days where I just like steer clear because I'm just like I don't want to fuck them up. So I'm just going to like stay away. (laughs) Like it might be better for me to just be like absent right now. You know what I mean? And then come in for a hug and not do anything. Right. Just come in for a gentle hug, but nothing really to complain about you. Yeah. Hoffman. It's a lot. It's a lot. A 12 year old boy going through hormones. I don't even know what he's talking about. I literally don't have any idea. That's so rough too. Right. And it's like, no one prepares you for anything. No, no clue. I mean, I, I would do anything when you hear people say, I would do anything for them to be babies again. I hundred percent. That's why you've gone bananas. You're right. Okay. So we talk about all the things that people have been stripped of from this year at home. 
what are the external markers of SD Stanley? So for me, it would be obviously a Fendi baguette, right? <laughs> also, I think that you are such a social doyen. So you are the person who's always having people over. You're always having parties. It's so bummer. You know, like you said, you're out and about, you're going to meetings, you have work, you have parties, you have a life. When so much of that has been stripped of you and you have to kind of sit with yourself, where do you think you really find your sense of identity? It's really weird because yes, I love to party and I love to be with my friends. So it's been really challenging for me to be here alone with not friends or once in a while they come sit in the backyard. It's a trip. And as I said, from the beginning, it's crazy. Like I feel like it brought me and Brian closer and our kids closer as much as we've like fought with them over things because they're going crazy. It's definitely brought us much closer as a family, not running around and, you know, not being here as much as we do go out and be social because we live in a very social town. Right. All right. We talked about this in the beginning, but for you now, 2021 Esther, post Hoffman Esther, Esty. Esther. What Esther, what would having it all look like to you today? I think it's really just about being able to continue on with having integrity and being an honest person and really understanding who my real friends are and who my family is and, you know, being able to spend time with them once this is over. I mean, it is over, right? I don't, I actually don't know. I think it's over, but yeah, I think, you know, and staying at the place where I am, where I understand that things don't matter. Because in the big scheme of thing, if you look at them like maybe you smoked a J and you look at it like that, things don't matter. Like your little fight that you got into with somebody yesterday, it doesn't matter. Like you're moved on with your life. Nobody remembers it. Nobody cares. You know, all of these crazy things that we all get hung up on or whatever it may be. You got to just like move past it. And I truly believe that. Like I know when I wake up and I put myself in a mood, I have to get out of that. You are so in charge of your whole life. I just think like we we all are and we don't know it. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't follow you, Essie, where can they find you? Where can they get your banana bread? Where can they harass your designers? <laughs> where can they buy your book? They can harass my designers at the eye agency, mm-hmm. like your eyeball eye. My banana bread is at Gone Bananas Bread. And does Gone Bananas always benefit the same charity? Is it always for baby to baby? It's pretty much like baby to baby. And this is about humanity. Both great causes. Yeah. We give proceeds to those charities. And what else? Esty Stanley, Instagram, Esty Stanley, social media. (laughs) Bringing pleasure wherever she goes. That should be my new thing. Bringing pleasure. I've actually never thought of myself as a pleasure giver. I think the world has. So it's about time you got on board. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad that we got to catch up today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. 
I love hearing from you guys. So please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week. Thank you.